0: Thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to GBC. A um, couple of kind of housekeeping issues. If uh, if there are seats in your aisles, if y'all could scoot to the middle of your aisles. We, we've got people standing in the back and sitting on the, um, the window sills, and yeah, thank y'all so much for moving. Um, sometimes when I say things like that, people ignore me, and I'm like, I can see you. Uh, <laughs> so like. I, like, there are lights, but I'm not blind. And so I appreciate y'all doing that. And um, sorry, also, I, I heard that parking has been a, a bit of a challenge today. We have a, a lot over here. It's the Curtis Steel lot. It's, it's right across the street here, and they open up for us. And so just know if you're ever coming and, and you're a, a little later than you'd hope to because you want to be here early to prepare your hearts for worship and not to park in the neighborhood. Um, both of those things can be true simultaneously. That Curtis Steele lot is, is available. So um, we've got, yeah, thank you guys so much. This was great. Um, couple other things, just cause we're on a housekeeping roll. Uh, Emory Snyder, uh, Emory Snyder is resigning as our children's ministry director. Uh, she is great with child and she is going to be the children's ministry director of their household. And so, we, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, we we are so grateful for her and her service at GVC over the last many years. Um, we are now though looking for an elementary coordinator, and and just so y'all know, that can be full time, that can be part time, uh, it, it can be multiple people. So we're we're trying to think creatively there. If if you are interested in that full or part time, know somebody who might be interested, send them our way. Ask them to contact. Bobby DeLeon, bobby at org, uh, with a letter of interest and then maybe a resume if you're getting out ahead of it. Um, and we would love to chat with you. We're, we're doing some interviews this week that we are very excited about, and uh, we just wanted to get the word out a little bit more. Uh, last thing I promise, we have a newcomers gathering uh, this right after this service, like 10 minutes after we finish this service. It is going to be out the foyer, up those stairs out there, and that way. So up into the elementary assembly room. Uh, if you are new here and want to hear more about what Grace Bible Church is all about, it'll be fairly short. It's going to be a lot better. If, if you were at our last newcomer's lunch, I apologize. It was terrible. I I just was off my game in horrible, horrible ways. And so, as a result, we've totally revamped it and basically taken all responsibility off of my hands. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. So, um, if you're new, you're you're welcome to come. If if you came to that last one, I'm so glad you're still here. Um, okay, I think that's it. Let me pray and we will turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 15. Lord, we love you so much. It is... It is just a joy to be your children uh to to know the redemption that we have in christ jesus to 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 understand that you have changed us you have made us new creations in christ you have set us apart for your good work you have set us apart to 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 work for your glory and for your kingdom's expansion to to make disciples god all of the things that you've given us to do are joyful And so God, thank you for the joy of our salvation. Thank you, God, for 1 Corinthians 15 and all that it teaches us about resurrection. And I I pray that we'd understand it and that we'd understand how it applies today. And so let your spirit do a great work. Give us all conviction and understanding. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want to start today. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. If if you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. Um, I'm all for Bibles on my phone, but I'm also for being able to mark up a Bible. So bring a Bible to church and and look if you have a Bible at 1 Corinthians 16. And and once you find the 16 there, I want you to look at the number that is right above it. So the last verse number of chapter 15. And I, I want you to note what it says. It says 58. That means there are 58 verses in 1 Corinthians 15. I, I want you to understand that that is significant. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, with 58 verses, is the longest chapter of any of the epistles in the New Testament. Now, what does that mean? The epistles are instructions to the early church. And so, of the books that are dedicated to instructing the early church, This is the longest chapter in any such book. 58 verses. I also want you to know this. It's primarily, primarily about your resurrection. Not Jesus' resurrection. That's what we celebrate on Easter. Yes, 1 Corinthians 15 does talk about Jesus' resurrection. If you look at the argument that Paul is developing, Jesus' resurrection is a means to the end of him proving Your resurrection. This is primarily about your resurrection. Your resurrection. 58 verses. Longest chapter of any epistle on the topic of your resurrection. Paul clearly thinks it's really important, which begs the question, why doesn't it even cross our radar? My guess, if you're like me, is that you haven't spent 10 minutes of your life thinking about the implications of your bodily resurrection. I get that you've thought about heaven a little bit, not as much as you should. But I don't think you've thought about your bodily resurrection. Paul gives it 58 verses. You don't give it 10 minutes. Why? What's the disconnect? Why would he think it's so important And you've never considered it. I think he raises that very tension that I'm raising in verse 35. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, Paul's going to call these people fools, and he's seeing that question as raised by a cynic. But the cynic is on to something. Like, wait a second. We're all going to get resurrected bodies? It's it's Part of the problem is that it's hard to wrap our minds around all of us simultaneously getting new bodies. New bodies. Someday in the future, new bodies. How about those who have been dead 2,000 years? That's a lot of decay. What does that body look like? How about those who have been blown up in some sort of horrible explosion? How about those who have been cremated? How about people with birth defects? Like if you're born with only one arm, and you get a resurrected body, do you, do you get two arms? Do you get one arm? A lot of things to consider. How, how does any of this work, this whole idea of a resurrected body? And then here's a, maybe a more pertinent question to us. Do we even want it to work? I mean, think, think about this. This is Paul saying that all of us who are in Christ, all of us who have believed in Jesus one day, we'll get resurrected bodies do we want that do we do we really want that the great majority of us don't actually love our physical bodies i, I don't love my physical body women buy full length mirrors presumably to torture themselves like it, it's like why 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 do we do that i haven't looked directly into a mirror intentionally In 20 years. The the notable exception to that is is when I must shave, and it's normally like once or twice a week. And and I promise in the last 20 years, I have never once shaved and and so had to look into a mirror without a T-shirt on. I I just don't do it. So so the idea that, you know, like I'm going to have a resurrected body with my chronic back pain and my bald head, the prospect of living eternally with this, doesn't seem very heavenly. <laughs> and it's the truth. And I, I know that that's a little bit funny, but I also think some people here can relate with me. I mean, like, we all have issues, and you're like, so we get this for eternity? I, I'd rather be like a soul, <laughs> you know, something that, you know, I can shape. <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's hard. Here's the other thing that's interesting about this. While we don't all love our bodies, I think we are, for the most part, as a, as a culture, consumed with our physical bodies, aren't we? In fact, I did some research this week. The anti-aging industry, and I'm not even sure what that entails, but I'm sure it's like face creams and makeup and you know, body sculpting type stuff and nip and tuck and tuck and nip and all that kind of stuff. $60 billion. The anti-aging industry currently, is about a $60 billion industry. And they, they projected it by the year 2030, it'll be $120 billion, with a B dollar industry. So we're, we're pretty hyper-focused on our physical bodies and specifically anti-aging, but it's not going to work, is it? I'm telling you girls who are 25 and you, you think you're pretty hot, You might be beautiful when you're 45, but you're not going to be as hot. It's just true. And... I don't even know why that's funny. You should be like, oh, crud. (laughs) Like, it's the truth. You're you're just not. And and here's another secret. When you're 80, you're going to look 80. Like... I don't care how many nip and tucks you have, you you might look 80, you might look plastic 80, but you're still going to be 80. (laughs) And and so that's, we're consumed with it and it's frustrating because even with our focus and all the resources that we have going to it, it, it's frustrating because we're losing. We're losing. We can't stem the tide of aging. We, We just can't. So, Let's see if the Bible has anything for us in this dilemma that we find ourselves in. Look at verses 36 through 38. You fool. And I know the text says, you foolish person. It's the translator softening the blow, but it it says, you fool. Like, you're an idiot. And it goes on. He's talking to the Corinthians. That doesn't mean it applies to us, but it might. You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. There's one really encouraging principle embedded in these verses. Here it is. If, if, if you want to write this down, it might be the one thing you should write down. Death leads to different. Death leads to different. The reason Paul uses the illustration of a seed is because a seed must die. I, I know you can like get really nerdy and, and scientific and go, well, occurred, technically a seed isn't dying. A seed must die at least in its original form to become a tree. Okay? That, that's the truth. Hey, what I'm really saying is an acorn doesn't grow up to be a bigger acorn. It's not how it works. Like you, You've never seen a four-foot acorn. You've never seen a 40-foot acorn. You see an acorn that's about this big, and, and it goes into the ground. It's, it's buried, and it germinates. It, the seed as it exists is destroyed. It germinates, and it becomes an oak tree. And uh, Some of you, again, I'm just heading off ridiculous conversations afterwards. Uh, some of you will go, like, well, technically, an acorn is not a seed. I get that, okay? I did some research. An acorn is not a seed, an acorn contains a seed, and an acorn still has to be busted up in order for it to become an oak tree. I could have said a pecan or a chestnut, because a chestnut and a pecan are a seed, but the title of a sermon isn't (laughs) pecan to pecan tree, okay? It's just a bad, it's a bad sermon title. Okay, so it's acorn to oaks, okay? It's the same principle though, and we're all going to agree, and we're not gonna geek out over that. What does it mean? This might be my bias, but I am pretty sure that this whole an acorn germinates and grows to be a giant oak principle, I'm pretty sure that this means that when you see me one day with my new resurrected body, I'm going to have hair like Fabio. That's what that means. If you don't know who Fabio is, he's a guy with really long hair, okay, and I'm going to have flow okay? I haven't had flow for like 20 some odd years. I'm going to have flow one day. And it's, it's going to be wonderful. I, I, I really look forward to that. Look at verses 39 through 41. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans and another for animals and another for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on these verses, because I think they're foundational to something that comes later, and we'll explain it then. But here's Paul's two principal points. There are different types of earthly bodies, animals, animals fish, human, etc. And there's different types of heavenly bodies, moons, stars, the sun. sun is a star, I get it. Ultimately, Paul here is giving a nod to God's ultimate creativity. He's created all sorts of things and everything that he has created exists, including you, for his glory. Like you exist, you were created by God to glorify God, just like everything else in all of creation. Unlimited creativity all for his glory. The second thing that is being said here is within God's unlimited creativity there are two categories. So lots of different bodies that have been created. Two categories of bodies. Look at verse 40 again. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. So that's two categories. Earthly, heavenly. Different types of glories. So what Paul says very clearly in verse 40, heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, heavenly glory, earthly glory. That gets us to verses 42 through 44. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Like I'm like, okay, tell me more. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Big picture. The heavenly bodies we one day will have are better than the earthly bodies that we currently do have. That's what verses 42 through 44 said. And that's not just because I'll have hair. It's, it's, it's not because you know, some of us are bald today and, and we'll have hair in that day. Paul basically says four things make our heavenly bodies better than our current earthly bodies. Heavenly bodies one day are better than our current earthly bodies. And verse 42, it says, What is sown is perishable, what is raised, is imperishable. The earthly bodies we have are perishing, like we're all dying. The earthly bodies we have are perishing, but the spiritual bodies we'll have one day are imperishable. Every Thursday, and I, you've heard me talk about our prayer time. Every Thursday at ten a.m., our staff gets together and we pray for the the prayer requests submitted by the congregation. And it starts off with baby births, and there, there's normally eight to ten births, like that are new every week. It's amazing. Y'all are prolific. <laughs> and, and then right after that, there's a section called bereavements. And it, it's remembering all the people who are grieving the loss of people who they've loved, who have passed on. And then the rest of it is all the people in between. It, it's all the people who are struggling against cancer. It's all the people who are fighting to save their marriages. It's, it's all the hard things of this life in between birth and death. You know what it all tells me? It tells me that we're mortals. You ever think about the word mortal? The first time I heard the word mortal was in like the late 1970s, maybe early 1980s on this sitcom called Mork and Mindy. Robin Williams, he was young, he was hilarious, really stupid, stupid show. He was an alien and he would call the people that he was interacting with on earth Mortals. To me, it was like synonymous with earthling or something like that. I mean, it didn't make much sense. Then I grew up a little bit, and I started to realize that mortal means more than an alien's reference to humanity. Mortal is related to the word mortality. You know what that means? Mortal is related to the word mortician. You know what that guy does? Mortal means destined to die. That's us. That's us. And every time we celebrate the birth of a child, we, we are also acknowledging that a death has been born into this world. Every time. I, I, I get it. Wah, wah, wah. Like that, that's really sort of a sad way of thinking of things, but it's true. With every birth... A death enters the world. I'll give you more hard stuff. Cellularly, I think that's a word. Scientifically, everything I've read says that the human body starts to decline. 27, 28, 29 years old. You know what that means for me? I'm 54 years old. I've got more than a quarter century of decline. That's a bummer. Like, I might, might not, I might have another quarter of a century in me, it's going to be marked by more decline. That's what it means. Like, three quarters of life is spent in decline. That that feels like a cruel joke. Like, I'm I'm not kidding you. Like, you're you're 25, you're like, oh, I'm going to live forever. You're not. I'm going to be beautiful forever. uh uh-huh. Look at your mom. <laughs> or your dad. I mean, either one. They're... It's just not how it works. Charles Baudelaire, who is a French poet, I'm channeling my inner West Carpenter here, said in reference to this fact, if there is a God, he is my devil. Guy was an atheist, so he's like, this body's the only one we have. And yeah, That's a cruel joke. That's a cruel joke, if that was all there is. But it's not. That's what this text is about. Like our bodies, which are in physical decline, yes. There's not much we can do about it. I mean, we can stay in shape, all that kind of stuff. We're still going to get old. We're still going to die. It is great news then, that this body isn't the end. It's just not. God promises us one day that we'll have new bodies, the ones that won't Verse 43 says that our earthly bodies are sown in dishonor, but our resurrected bodies will be raised in glory. Now, what does that mean that our earthly bodies, this current body is sown in dishonor? It isn't just ear hair and nose hair and back hair and everywhere, but head hair. That's, that's not all that we're talking about here. I think he's talking about our proclivity towards sin. Like I, when it talks about being dishonorable in this body, it's this body Desires selfish things. This, this body desires to live in sin. Can you even imagine a world or a body not marred by the devastating effects of sin? I, I don't know that we can, honestly. Like, I, I, you're like, oh, well, I'd have hair. That, that's great. You, you probably would. I probably would. But there's so much more. is part of a sinful body than the absence of hair it's it's the constant proclivity to sin why do i do the things i don't want to do it is sown in dishonor but our resurrected bodies will be raised in glory can you imagine that Bodies that don't gravitate toward sin. Bodies instead that exist fully. They, they participate with the soul's desire to honor God. How fun will that be? We're not there yet. But how fun will that be? Verse 43 also says that the earthly body we have is weak, but our resurrected bodies will be powerful. So we exchange weak bodies for powerful bodies. We are always trying to protect ourselves, aren't we? We are. We're, we're constantly mitigating risk. I don't know that I should do that. I might get hurt. That's true. That's, that's, that's not a bad thought. Because we have weak bodies. We have, think about all the things we do to try to protect against illness. Some of you wash your hands 40 times a day. It's a little compulsive. But I understand the principle. Germs are real, and we've learned in the last couple of years that germs matter in a big way but we we do other things we we stretch and you know we we lift weights and we're we're trying to strengthen what are otherwise weak bodies always protecting ourselves from injury i mean taking vitamins all of this stuff i'm not saying it's bad Like If if you're like a junior high kid or a high school kid, I don't want you to weaponize what I'm saying here about a weak body and like me talking about washing hands. If your mom tells you to wash your hands, wash your hands. Don't be snarky. She's right. You're not going to live forever. Germs matter. You're kind of gross. Wash your hands. But also look forward to the fact that one day, we don't have to wash our hands. I don't know if germs will exist or not. It won't matter. We're going to be imperishable. They won't affect us. We'll exchange weak bodies for bodies that will be powerful. The earthly bodies we have today are natural. They're of this world. But our resurrection bodies will be spiritual and they will be superior. That's what the text says. It says it over and over again. That leads us to verses 45 through Forty-nine. It's kind of the theological section, and I think it is beautiful. Thus it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. A lot going on there. It's a little bit complicated. I'm going to give you the simplest summary I can. Our current estate... Like, as you sit at Grace Bible Church, as you leave Grace Bible Church, as you live in this current reality, our current estate, both in our fleshly struggles as we fight against our most base desires, and also in our current estate as we, I hope, because of this sermon, long for a resurrection body one day. Our fleshly struggles and our longing and our hope for a resurrection body. It's all rooted in a prototype. It's all rooted in a prototype. What do I mean by that? There's an earthly body and there's a heavenly body and we have a prototype for each. We get our earthly body from Adam. That's what the text says. We get our earthly body from Adam and so we die. Hey, have you ever wondered? The wage of sin is death, but Jesus has paid for my sins and he died for me, why do I die physically? You ever wondered about that? This is the answer. Right here. We get our earthly bodies from Adam, and so we died. As he died, we die. Historically, the Christian church has said, from dust to dust we go. It's because we have an earthly body From Adam, it's just the truth. But we'll get one day a heavenly body from the second Adam, who is of course Jesus, and as he lives forever, forever bodily, so we will live forever bodily. Verse forty-nine is kind of fun. I just we'll play around with this a little bit and then get back to it. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, and we have borne the image of the man of dust. That's Adam. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's play with that. Jesus resurrected body. Pretty fun to think about. What was different? Some things were different, right? When when Jesus was resurrected and he would meet up with people that he knew before, did they always recognize him? No, they didn't. They didn't. Several people, not just one or two, several people, when they first encountered Jesus post-resurrection, they didn't recognize him. We always go, well, that's just because resurrection is so unique. And yeah, I mean, I get that. But nobody recognized the guy until he was like, it's me. And then they were like, oh, it is Jesus. So there's something familiar about him, but he's different enough that people wouldn't recognize him. You know what else is different about resurrected Jesus? You ever thought about this? Resurrected Jesus showed up Behind locked doors, all of a sudden it's like appeared. That never happened pre-crucifixion. Jesus, when he walked around with the disciples, he didn't like teleport to Galilee. He walked to Galilee. The reason I say all this, it's kind of fun to think about. If our resurrected bodies are going to be in the image of Jesus' resurrected body, Jesus' resurrected body was similar but different. He could do some things that that he couldn't do before. I don't know for sure if that's how it all works, but how fun would it be all of a sudden with a resurrected body, like you have a party or something, you're like, where's West? I thought West was coming. All of a sudden, poof, I'm here. (laughs) That's a fun party trick. I don't know. Could happen. Just guessing here. Let's get back to the serious stuff. Why do you suppose the redeemed still get sick and die? Let's go back to that question I asked earlier. If Jesus died to take the consequence of our sin, why do we still get sick? Why do we still die? The Pentecostals get this wrong, by the way. They're going to come to you and they're going to say, well, Jesus died to cover and to eradicate the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin is sickness. And so name it and claim it. If you believe hard enough, you'll never be sick. If you believe hard enough, you'll never die. That never works. This is a, a bad theology. It's a bad theology. But I understand the logic. Why do the redeemed still struggle with sin or struggle what the Bible says against their flesh? they wrestle with their own flesh. Struggle with sin, struggle with their flesh, synonyms. Why? That's actually a really pertinent question. Last week, I went to lunch with a couple at Mendocino Farms, and the reason we went was this girl, the wife in this couple, she's absolutely delightful, but she has a long-standing struggle in doubting her salvation because she struggles with the reality of her sin. Not, not that she doesn't believe in the reality of her sin. She's like, if I'm redeemed, why do I still sin like I sin? She's got a good question. She's essentially saying, wouldn't God want his redeemed to look more redeemed? Like, it, if he's going to send his son Jesus to die on a cross, why wouldn't he totally transform us so that we would really do a more thorough job of glorifying him? It's a fair question. It's a, it's a question that we all should ask. I mean, like, the, the other side of that is, I got fire insurance. I can do what I want. And you're not a Christian. Just saying. Like... Wouldn't God want his redeemed to look more like the after pictures and the before and after pictures on the weight loss advertisements? And I'm, I'm not talking about how we physically look, but the spiritual equivalent. Like, don't we want a testimony that, that says, before I was a Christian, I was into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But then I became a Christian and I became the perfect father, the perfect mother, children. Gather around that we might read the good book in the pre dawn light of day. Why do we still struggle with frustration and anger? Why, when the dog wakes us up at four in the morning, don't we feel more Christian? Mary, do you have an answer for us? (laughs) We've got a new puppy. Here's our current estate, and I think this is helpful. We, as Christians, do have the indwelling Holy Spirit. What a wonderful gift. And there is fruit that results from a genuine conversion. If you have genuinely believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If if you have understood that you could not earn or merit God's favor and and you rejected this idea of legalism that we would earn or gain or be self-righteous and you have said, my only hope is the grace, a gift that God would give me by the provision of his son Jesus that I might be saved. If, If you have genuinely believed in Jesus like that, there is fruit Because the Holy Spirit has indwelled you and it will manifest itself. But here's the deal. We are still living at what Paul calls in Romans chapter 7 this body of death. That's what it says. He says, why do I, he's writing the book of Romans, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And he goes on to say, Who will rescue me from what? This body of death. And he goes straight to the gospel. Thanks be to God who has sent his son to shed his blood that I might have hope. We're still living in what Paul calls the body of death. That's why we struggle. That's why it's still hard. That's why the Christian life is not marked by victory. There was one victorious Christian. He was crucified. We have a vicarious victory, not an actualized victory. We still struggle. Our old man, what Francis of Assisi calls brother ass, that's, that's this earth suit that we have. And it wants what it wants. And we have the Holy Spirit inside us. And it wants God's glory. And the mark of the Christian life is a battle. And God's glory is at stake. So if you are in the fight, see the fight as evidence of your new creation status. If you're just like, oh, I believe in Jesus, I can do whatever I want now. That is pop Christianity, and it is not Christianity. The Holy Spirit in us means we fight against our flesh. We don't idolize our flesh, that's not what we do as Christians. We fight our flesh and we celebrate Jesus because the gospel tells us he redeemed not just our souls. That's what we think, like, oh, our souls are going to heaven. That's true. But one day, he'll give us new bodies, new bodies that we won't have to fight. And that's part of redemption, and it is a glorious part of redemption. It's something that God offers us. We should celebrate it. We're going to take communion now, and, and communion is where it all started, right? The the crucifixion of Jesus, where his body was broken for us. This is all about our souls. It is all about one day, the new bodies that we will enjoy. And I can't wait for that body. So take some time now, celebrate the gospel, enjoy God's favor, and enjoy the truths of his unconditional love for you. and, And the fact that he has paid for your sins by his broken body and his shed blood. When you hear the musicians begin to play, you'll know it's time to come row by row. I'm not sure how we're going to do it. Everybody else, row by row, take the bread and the cup, take it back to your seats. Let's wait to partake of the elements until everyone has been served. Pray now, come when the musicians begin to play.